Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, Canadians' financial confidence continues to deteriorate. What the latest MNP Consumer Debt Index tells us about BC and Canada's consumer financial wealth and health. Plus, a program that's trying to support the next generation of BC tech talent. We'll find out more. First, several events we have coming up with BIV. The conventional banking business has undergone rapid technological change over the last decade. This Thursday, April 25th, BIV's Business Excellence Series presents the next big things in banking and finance. Our panel discussion will explore the future of banking and finance, policy challenges, the impact of change on incumbents, and the opportunities for upstarts. Tickets and information are available at BIV.com slash BES banking finance. The $40 billion initial investment in LNG Canada will bring with it a range of economic opportunities for BC. On April 30th, BIV hosts Navigating Canada's LNG Opportunity, a vital session for any business interested in understanding and benefiting from this opportunity. For a list of speakers and details, visit BIV.com slash events. We are also going to help you navigate how to sell your firm or business. This includes how to avoid common mistakes, what the process looks like, how to begin preparing for the sale. Our event, Finding the Best Price and Buyer for Your Business, will feature experts who know the ins and outs of selling companies. You can hear what they have to say May 8th at the Vancouver Club. For details, visit BIV.com slash events. And finally, Canada is preparing for the second wave of cannabis legalization, as are investors and businesses. On May 22nd, our Cannabis 2.0 event will size up the players, the products, and the opportunities in this expanded market, from edibles to infused beverages, from topicals to vapes. For more information on this and all of our events, visit BIV.com events. Insolvency fears continue to grow, optimism around debt is down, and borrowing is still on the rise. The latest MNP Consumer Debt Index out today reveals that Canadians are feeling worse about their debt and finances than they were just three months ago. With me on the line today to talk about how much worse we're feeling and why is Lana Gilbertson, Senior Vice President at MNP here in Vancouver. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Haley. What would you say are some of the most notable changes you've seen quarter to quarter? Mm-hmm. Well, if we're looking at uh, at Canada, um, basically Canadians' perception of their debt situation has been on a gradual decline, um, and it sits at its nearest point since we began tracking in June 2017. And so where Canadians are right now is nearly half are saying that they are $200 or less each month away from financial insolvency. And that's an increase of two points from the last uh, survey we did three months ago. This also includes one in four Canadians who say they have no wiggle room at month end as they already don't have enough enough room to cover, you know, their regular expenses. So these are really concerning numbers for sure. They are. That seems so high that almost Mm -hmm. one in two Canadians are that close to insolvency. I, I, I recognize every situation is going to be different, but generally speaking, what are some of the trends behind this? What's causing this level of near insolvency? I, I really believe this has a lot to do with housing costs 
and generally, uh, you know, the cost of living. And you are absolutely right. Every situation is different. And certainly we even see nuances province to province. For example, you know, the cost of, of, of fuel in British Columbia is, is higher than it's ever been. So there's a, a number of factors that are, are putting pressure on household budgets. Uh, but overall, I would say housing is definitely putting the most pressure on. One of the aspects of this that really caught my eye was that women are significantly more likely to be on the brink of insolvency. What's the reason behind that? Well, I, I noticed this one too, Haley. Of course, being a woman, it's it's of particular interest to me as well. Um, you know, I, I think that again, there's a variety of reasons for this. Many, every situation is different, but some of the some of the the causes that would come to mind would be. Uh, you know, women bear the the burden of of raising families. Often, this is not always the case. Of course, men are playing an increasing role in that. But they, you know, their earnings tend to be less, um, not only on a monthly basis, but certainly over a lifetime when they take time out to to have children. Um, often, uh, when families break down, uh, more often than not, children are with their mum. And again, you know, they're they're when you're dividing your time between trying to uh, to bring home the bacon, so to speak, and raise the children, um, your earning power tends not to be uh, as strong as it as it is for men. Um, uh, yeah, there's there's a number of factors I think, but certainly that that one stood out to me, and it's not surprising. Um, and mm-hmm. and certainly it's it's something that uh, I hope could change over time. Hmm. Understandably, any kind of financial challenge or stress or uncertainty would take a toll on anyone. How are Canadians feeling about their financial future? How optimistic are they or are they not when it comes to their ability to to make it to the end of the month? Hmm. Well, I mean, what our poll is showing is that overall Canadians are not feeling very optimistic at all. Um, uh, you know, it's certainly you know some feel more optimistic than others. Um, but, um, but, but overall, what we're seeing is that, you know, Canadians are, uh, feeling the pressure. Um, they're carrying more debt than they ever have. Uh, you know, I think you mentioned this at the beginning of the call, but, you know, there's, uh, Canadians are taking on more consumer debt, at, despite, uh, feeling the pressure. Um, you know, we're finding that some people simply, no matter how hard they try, they just literally cannot cover their, their expenses. And so Canadians are taking on more debt. In fact, two in three Canadians or 67% say that they took on more cons- consumer debt compared to the same time last year. Um, so, you know, you've got more people continuing to borrow. And I, so I, I think that, you know, uh, our polls in the future, you know, we, we would expect that um, that uh, this pressure will continue to build and, and Canadians may continue to feel worse unless uh, unless Canadians begin to take some steps to reduce their, their indebtedness. Mm-hmm. And I'll be circling back to you at the end of the call about what those steps might be. But first, I wanted mm-hmm. to take a little bit of a deeper look at BC. You yep. mentioned housing and mortgages being a contributing factor, and that would certainly be true for certain parts of British Columbia. Greater Vancouver comes to mind immediately. Mm-hmm. And the results seem to show that there's significantly less optimism among British Columbians when it comes to debt. Is it tied to mortgages and housing, or are there some other factors unique to us on the West Coast? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's very much tied to uh, to mortgages and to the to the cost of housing. Now, that of course, you know, when when you're talking about mortgages, you're talking about uh, people who are homeowners. 
But on the other end of the scale, you know, you have you have uh, a significant number of British Columbians who uh, are not homeowners. They never got into the housing market for for various reasons. And and at this point, with housing prices being what they are, they you know they they sort of feel like they will never get into the housing market. That's sort of a sentiment that I hear a lot among my clients uh, more than now more than ever. Um, but again, uh, you know, for for people who are homeowners. Um, you know, what they've been able to do for many years now is to access some of the, the equity in their homes to help keep them afloat. You know, they've been able to pull out money to consolidate consumer debt or to take their vacations, put their kids through school or whatever. Uh, they've been able to access the equity in the home. Uh, for non-homeowners, not so much. It's a slightly different picture. Um, so, you know, again, I think the pressure is, it, I think both sides are feeling it. Um, but I, you know, what I'm seeing is a widening gulf for sure between the haves and have-nots, but everyone is feeling the pressure in one way or another. Mm-hmm. For those homeowners, we've seen such a shift in the market here in Greater Vancouver. For the average person, I don't think we've seen prices really fall that much. We've seen some big declines in the luxury end or the higher end of the market. But is there some concern too that for people who maybe have relied on the equity in their home, that it might not be worth as much, especially if they bought into the market at a mm-hmm. at a particular time? I think that's a very realistic concern uh, for anyone who has bought at what may have been or maybe the, the high end of the market. Um, but, um, abs- you know, absolutely, I think that's a concern. What what we are seeing a little bit of increasingly is, um, is homeowners, uh, you know, with some of the changes that government has made uh, when it comes to qualifying for mortgages, we are seeing uh, we are seeing some people having greater difficulty accessing that equity in the home. So it will be interesting to see um, how that plays out in the next couple of years and certainly mm. depending on what home prices do. I said I'd circle back to you and now is that time. Mm-hmm. Typically speaking, do consumers tend to have plans around reducing or eliminating their debt in your opinion? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, unfortunately uh, for me, given what I do every day, I, I would say uh, you know, the clients that I see do not, and that's precisely why they're in my office, um, is that yeah. they're, you know, they're coming to see me because they're kind of at the end of, of the rope. They've sort of tried everything, or maybe they haven't tried anything. And, but, you know, some crisis has, has occurred, um, and they're simply unable to pay their debts, uh, anymore. So, um, you know, I, I tend to have a, a slightly, uh, a slightly, um, uh, a less optimistic view of, of <laughs> how Canadians treat debt simply because of what I do for a living. Um, but I do know, you know, I, I do know that some people very successfully use debt. It's a tool. And, and some people use it very successfully. You know, they've got one credit card. They use it for all purchases and pay it off at the end of the month. I think using credit uh, in, a, in a planned and very, uh, you know, with, with intention is, is a very, you know, it can be a powerful tool. But again, when you, you get into these situations where, um, you know, people, uh, you know, the most concerning one, of course, is where, and I'm seeing this increasingly, where people literally can't cover their expenses. Um, you know, credit is, you know, it's a blessing and a curse because, you know, it, it is certainly, uh, it's, it's something that people can turn to, um, you know, for help with emergency, uh, you know, situations where they need, uh, you know, unexpected expenses, et cetera. It, it can be a tool there. But, you know, where it becomes an issue is if there is 
no ability and or no plan to repay it. And it becomes, um, you know, it becomes a bit of a snowball and a pressure cooker for people. And eventually at some point, you know, some, something has to give, as they say. Um, so anyway, but there, you know, there certainly are steps that people can take, um, you know, to, to, I guess, Im- improve their finances generally, but also steps they can take if they're on a bit of a debt treadmill. Um, I don't know if you want me to go through those now, but. Uh, what would you say are some good first initial steps that somebody could take to to try and tackle something that can really at times seem insurmountable? Right. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm a firm believer in getting professional advice um, about mm-hmm. the situation. And I think when you hear the word professional advice, there's always this uh, fear that how much is that going to cost me? You know, and, and that's, that's always a, a big concern. But a licensed insolvency trustee is a, a highly trained, specialized professional that, you know, part, part of whose role is to educate, um, you know, consumers about their options when they are dealing with, uh, you know, with, with debt. And uh, a, con- a consultation with a licensed insolvency trustee is free and it's confidential. Um, and, and the trustee is going to go through all, you know, conduct an assessment of the individual situation, find out where they're at and what are their options. And there would be legislative and non-legislative options available. And a trustee's responsibility is to go through all of those things. Um, many, you know, many, many people are not either not comfortable going in to talk to someone. There's a lot of fear associated with that. Or they're simply unaware that there is someone that they can talk to. So we find that sometimes uh, people don't come in early enough Mm. But for anyone who, you know, isn't maybe ready to take that step in talking to someone, um, a self-assessment is a good place to, to begin. Open up, you know, open up all the, all the, uh, the state, the creditor statements, make a list of everything that's owed. Um, and, uh, and of course, in conjunction with that, taking a look at, uh, the household income and expenses and figuring out, um, figuring out if there is a realistic ability uh, to to make some some payments uh, toward the debt so that the principal begins to get paid down. Minimum payments, unfortunately, uh, do not get uh, do not get anyone anywhere anytime soon. Um, they're they're you know minimum payments. Uh, it may feel like someone is making progress in 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 managing their debt, but the reality is uh, that debt isn't going to see any significant decline unless um, unless there's uh, some 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 real progress towards decreasing the, the principle that's owed. Um, mm-hmm. But again, a good start is just if you're not ready to talk to someone, just put pen to paper, see where you're at. But I would encourage people to just go in and talk to someone like a licensed insolvency trustee who's just going to lay it out. And there's you know no obligation to, to go one way or the other. And certainly, it doesn't mean that that person is on the brink of bankruptcy. It's merely, where am I at? And what are my options? Mm-hmm. Good to have that clarity. You mentioned mm-hmm. a couple minutes ago what you see when it comes to our attitudes around borrowing, and I'm curious to know how closely, or to what extent, I should say, is that shaped by interest rates and what we've seen mm-hmm. with very low interest rates. Have you seen that fuel more borrowing, or do some of these behaviors sort of exist independent of rates? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I I think that. You know, I, I do think that um, that interest rates do play a role in how comfortable people are 
taking on debt. Absolutely. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, credit cards, take credit cards, for example. Um, typically, you know, the, the, you know, your, what you're paying on your, as an interest rate on your credit card isn't tied at all to, um, to what the Bank of Canada does, right? It's, right. it's either, you know, 20 or somewhere between 20 to 30%. And what, what I have found though is that there's a psychological impact, I think. When, you know, when interest rates started to go up in 2017, um, you know, we've seen all along, right, as we do our, our consumer debt index every three months, and I think we've seen a continuing deterioration in confidence, right, as interest rates have increased. And again, while not everyone's debt is tied to, uh, you know, it's, it isn't tied necessarily to uh, whether there's an interest rate increased or not, but I think that there, you know, everyone is sort of feeling that same anxiety. And again, it's, you know, there's an overall... Uh, there's overall pressure happening with respect to, you know, housing costs and, and other living costs and, and of course, uh, incomes that really aren't going anywhere at this time. So, yeah, I, I think it does play a role on the psyche of Canadians. Uh, it, but, you know, uh, for some, it has a real impact and for others, it's, it's, it's merely psychological. Fair enough. We, of course, have a rate decision coming from the Bank of Canada on Wednesday. Consensus seems to be that we'll see that rate held. But generally speaking, if we were to see a 25 basis point increase or even a 25 basis point decrease for that matter, does that amount have a material impact on Canadians' ability to pay down debt or to make payments? Are Canadians worried about potentially seeing another increase? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I I don't know. It it truly depends on you know on the individual situation. Um, what I can say is that half of Canadians say they are concerned about the impact of rising interest rates on their financial situation. So at the certainly whether there's a real impact or not, there's a perception that mm. an interest rate increase is going to have a deteriorating effect on the finances. Um, but yeah, whether there's a real impact or not, you know, 25 basis points may not seem like much, but, um, but, you know, I think over time, it's, it's those increases over time that I think it plays, it, it, it has the most impact. That's right. They add up. We've seen five they, already. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lana, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining the show with your insight. Thank you for having me. That's Lana Gilbertson. She is the Senior Vice President at MNP here in Vancouver. New Ventures BC is delivering a new incentive program to help encourage the development of local tech talent. The program is the Innovator Skills Initiative. It's from Innovate BC, delivered by New Ventures. It gives firms up to $10,000 a year to hire post-secondary students. Joining me to talk about this as well as more work being conducted by New Ventures BC is Angie Schick, Executive Director of the initiative, as well as Rachel Burns, ISI Grant Program Manager. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Angie, tell me a little bit about why a program like this is really needed in a region like Greater Vancouver. For the job grant program, I think talent is an ongoing issue for, for tech startups, which are the, the core audience that we support. Mm-hmm. So they're 
doing some really innovative things, but they, of course, need some help. So students, I think, are a really underrated source of talent. They're learning the newest techniques and the newest ways of doing things. So using a grant like this is a way to incentivize the companies to take a chance on some students and some for some students to get some real-world opportunities. Exactly. I can imagine not just capitalizing on their skills and new ideas, but also maybe their enthusiasm to get a foot into the door. Absolutely. And we're finding when we speak with students, they are really interested in working in the tech industry. So the opportunity to work at a tech startup, the beauty of a tech startup is you really do get to do a little bit of everything. So you're getting a lot of exposure and interesting um, opportunities that you wouldn't necessarily get in, say, a bigger company. For sure. Rachel, tell me a little bit how it works. Who can apply and how many grants have been given out to date? Yeah, for sure. So the grant is open to tech companies in BC, and um, they just need to be hiring for a business or a tech role um, from an accredited post-secondary institution. And yeah, we're really excited. We just hit the $1 million mark for the grants wow. um, that we have awarded so far. So it's really exciting. Excellent. And what's some of the feedback you've heard both from the students, but also from the companies that have the opportunity to hire a student? Yeah, I mean, that's really the exciting thing, like behind the numbers is the impact of the grant and how it actually affects people. Um, the companies, it's been really beneficial to them. Like some have said, they're able to get their first product out the door. They're able to um, build their MVP. And for students, as Angie was saying, they're just getting this real world experience. They're getting really excited about the tech industry. And a lot of them are inspired to actually start their own tech companies one day, which is really, really cool. That's great. Angie, can cost sometimes be a barrier to actually taking on a student, even if an owner wants to do that, they maybe can't afford to? Oh, absolutely. With startups, every dollar truly counts. <laughs> so with this program, we're matching uh, 50%. So they only have to put up half the amount. And I believe a portion of that half can be in kind. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good opportunity for them to really get some free money, right? So why wouldn't you take advantage? No, exactly. Free money. Mm -hmm. It's the best kind <laughs> of money. <laughs> and you mentioned, Rachel, it's open to tech companies throughout BC. Mm -hmm. I imagine that there are a lot based in Greater Vancouver, but where are some of the other areas where you've seen interest? Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely on the island, we've seen a lot of interest in the interior, um, up north in the Kootenays. So just all over BC, there's a lot of awesome innovation happening. And that's really great to see in the numbers as well. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, of course, just one program delivered by New Ventures BC. You have the annual competition for new startups. Angie, tell me a little bit about this year's competition. So this is our 19th annual competition started back in 2000 with the objective of having a, a place for early stage tech companies to be recognized and also supported and hopefully uh, give them a little bit of cash to to uh, help with their growth. So this year has been a, we've, we're off to a great start. So deadline for entries was last week on April 10th, and we received over 200 entries, which is the most we've ever gotten. Wow. So it's been a busy week reviewing everything. <laughs> um, but uh, it's been... Um, Every year, I really like watching and looking at this first intake because you really get a good sense of what the trends are in in the startup ecosystem here. So there's always lots of software. There's always life science. And this year, I've noticed a lot more blockchain and a lot more cannabis. So it'll be oh. interesting to see how that plays out. That will be very interesting. Two very hot topics mm -hmm. that we've seen here in Vancouver and around the world, of course. What's the next stage for this competition? 
So right now we're in education phase. So the companies have the opportunity to attend a whole slew of workshops. We call it a startup MBA bootcamp. And that's open to competitors and also anyone who's interested in starting a company. So if you want to check it out, all, everything's listed on, on our website. And at that point, after the education's over, they have to complete a five-page submission, and then that will get formally judged. And that's when the big cut comes. We cut down to 40 around the end of May. Mm, that educational component is so important. And when it comes to educating the next generation of entrepreneurs and tech talent, Rachel, what do you think are some of the key takeaways for participants when they maybe have the opportunity through this grant program to spend a summer or a few months at a company? Um, I think the key takeaways is how dynamic the tech industry is, how many opportunities there are to learn different skills and take on different roles. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I just think that students are just so excited to actually be a part of it. And as I said before, to start their own businesses, I'm really surprised how many students really, that's kind of one of their goals as well. So it's really cool. Maybe if you don't have the exposure to that as a young student, you might not even think of it, like being an entrepreneur might not be on your radar. But I think that's why these programs are so important, because it really gives that exposure so students have the opportunity to see what their future could be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have the capacity to continue this program into the future? What's sort of the timeline, generally speaking, for this grant program? Um, generally speaking, uh, funding is guaranteed until April of 2020. But yeah, that's just where it is right now. But we're not sure what the future might hold for that. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, Angie, it's free money. Who wouldn't want that opportunity? But we often hear for things like scholarships, people end up do leaving a lot of money on the table. They just don't know the opportunities are out there or they didn't go through the application process to make themselves eligible. What would be your pitch to businesses who maybe are looking at a variety of options to say, you know what, you should consider this program for this reason? Uh, uh, that's a very good point, and it's been a it's been an interesting challenge for us in terms of c communicating this program mm. exists. So when I talk to a company, I generally say, if you are looking to hire talent, you have the opportunity to hire from a wide array of schools, post secondary schools here in the province. You put in half, I put in half. You can get up to ten thousand dollars a year. It's a very simple application process. We make it as easy as we can on you and we're here to help. So give us a call. Great. Angie, Rachel, thank you both so much for taking the time to come in. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. That's Angie Schick, Executive Director at New Ventures BC and Rachel Burns, ISI Grant Program Coordinator with New Ventures BC. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. You can listen to our archived shows at BIV.com slash audio. And of course, you can listen to read, watch more business news over at BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening.